Welcome to Pudding Ain't Easy, and today it is episode four of Loki, and with me, as always, is the Lionel Messi to my Cristiano Ronaldo, it's Scott McLeod, everybody. Yay, football. I understand the references, because they're two <laughs> of the only players whose names I actually know. <laughs> Uh, and also, I, I know also you were talking before we started recording. You're very happy with the Ronaldo news recently. Uh, yeah, uh, happy is probably the understatement of the century. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know how to really re- to follow into the show here from that because again, if you were on with Reese or Liam, they'd have some football related back and forth here. But I got nothing for you here, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> It's 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 as big as CM Punk coming back to wrestle in. Put it put it that way. Uh, yeah, I've seen that, or Anthony or Jack kind of comparing it uh, to when Punk said he left wrestling in 05 and came back yeah. with, by, by just putting like when Ronaldo left Man United said I left football and now I'm back. <laughs> which which, uh, which even I could appreciate that one. <laughs> Before we though we get into uh, Loki, we've got some other stuff to talk about mm-hmm. today. Um, namely, three very big and maybe one massive trailers have dropped in the last seven days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're going to save the one people probably won't most want to talk about, a Spider-Man uh, to the end. So which one do you want to start off with out of the other two? Uh, perhaps the Eternals? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a property that I, I know very little about, so I can't pretend to know a massive amount outside um, of viewing the trailer, but it, it does look really good, I must admit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not entirely familiar with them. Well, I think I may have mentioned them briefly in the Celestials, and that ties into their background a. Uh, uh, when I was mentioning Thanos' origin and the uh, and the uh, Rogue Chronicles episode I was recently on, because men- they mentioned characters that they fight called the Deviants, and Thanos has something called the Deviant genes as a connection there. I, I, I doubt that connection between them and Thanos will be mentioned in, in the movie. But I mean, I, I, so I don't really know the full extent of what they're of. They basically claim they are all gods. So you know how well, so how, it'll be interesting to see how they make them seem vulnerable. Like during the film to get us to support them, and I don't really know their powers. And like we talked about in Loki, how there's little things here to kind of make you, make you think. Don't think about it. Don't ask questions about this particular thing because we don't have an answer for it. Uh, right off the gate, they basically get asked in the trailer, 
why didn't you help out before, like with Thanos and everything? Because they acknowledge Thanos and everything, and they just say, oh, we were told not to get involved in any human conflict unless deviants were involved, and only now have the deviants started coming back. Yeah, uh, I think they make reference to some character, which I mistakenly thought was Galactus at first, but after doing some research, I realised I got that wrong. Uh, um, some sort of is it some sort of judge or something, and you sort of see like this big sort of yeah, I don't know, like red being, don't you? Like it's like got a mask yeah. on or something. I He's meant to be who controls the Eternals, isn't he? Yeah, I almost said a sentinel. That's from X Men. I think it's the celestial thing. They ended up creating the Eternals. Mm. So there's something connected there, and they they claim that in the trailer that the snap, I think either the one that. Because the movie or the one that uh, not the snap that brought everybody back is what uh, the energy surge brought the deviants somehow back, and basically they got seven days to save the world. Uh, so you know it's got an interesting kind of cast because they're all maybe like thousands of years old, but they all look very different. Like one of them is played by a child, but the, it's like a, a thousand centuries year old like god in a child's body, which I'm I'm sure they'll have some fun with. Yeah, I mean, that makes them almost as old as me, doesn't it? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> See, the, the MCU finally got characters you can relate to, Carl, after all this thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, any film, though, that's got Selma Hayek and Angela Jolie has got my, atten- <laughs> has got my attention. Because <laughs> it did seem like, you know, I don't think we get to see much of you know, them all interacting too much in the uh, trailer. Like, the Mace the ones that get the most focus, I think, are Jolie Hayek and Richard uh, Maiden or Rob Stark, as I remember him as from Game of Thrones. And I love how uh, his character, they let they just let him be, just use his regular Scottish accent. And I forgot how thick his voice is. So, because it's rare, you don't hear a lot of Scottish people in Marvel. No, no, no you, you really don't. And it's, it is refreshing to, <laughs> to have that. It looks like they sort of gone their separate ways over the years and uh, they're just sort of like trying to reunite them to to battle, as you say, these uh, deviants sort of started coming uh, to cause chaos or whatever they do. Again, not, I'm not really that up on um, the Eternals, but uh, yeah, looking at that quick trailer, it does look like a, a fun movie. It really does. Yeah. I was just if they delve more into you know, what each character you know can do in terms of their abilities and everything, what sets them all apart. Because you got like uh, Richard Mayne's character kind of just like shooting like lasers, eyes and flying. So basically, they made him look like a Superman mm. character. Well, his character's called Icarus, so mm. I'm guessing his powers related to the sun with a with a name like that. Yeah. Uh, but like I, w- I like to think it would be like an, uh, the idea of an ensemble piece that maybe some people aren't familiar with then will become known no, will become popular uh, in terms of like Guardians but this looks a lot more serious than Guardians was because you know from the trailer I may excite fans who, are, who know them but there wasn't that much uh, info for people who aren't Eternals fans so I'm not really as hyped for it I probably will, I will see it obviously because no doubt they'll tie it into something that gets to the point where you can't miss a single film at this stage. Otherwise, you might miss a post-credit scene or something that ties into something in a larger like plan. But, you know, it does strike me as one of the more serious ones, especially like when we look at the tone of the Spider-Man trailer we're going to talk about in a bit. 
like the tones are night and day probably because the it's it's the different characters, but this does seem a lot more serious. Maybe when we watch it, well, there'll be a lot more jokes, but they weren't showing many of them in the trailer. Uh, it's just almost as if it's a DC uh, film, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. I mean, no. I wonder if the creator of the Eternals is <clears throat> called Martha. Try and move on to Chang Chi then. Yeah. So it's Chang Chi, sorry, and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Now again, this isn't um, a a character or a property I'm very familiar with, but again, it looks really good. And a bit more humour in um, in this trailer as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a lot more kind of what you have fitting to like a Marvel film. And I mentioned before the idea of mixing the, the classic like, superhero genre, but with other types of films. So obviously using this whole martial arts style of it. And yeah, like even though he might not be like having like making jokes like an Iron Man or a Spider-Man like I can't remember the name of the female character in it but kind of, who's kind of like the side character who's always with them uh, she's kind of the one making the jokes so you still have that balance of seriousness plus you know humour that Marvel has become known for recently and it looks cool to me you know the whole Ten Rings thing and some of the action sequences look good uh, like there are, some of the fight scenes do look very Mortal Kombat-esque I think and then there's that fighting scene at the end with a, it's a blinking, you'll miss it, but what everybody's pointing out to be a, what looks like abomination from Incredible Hulk. And it, it looks like, it looks like, I thought at first he was fighting Shang-Chi, but people have claimed that it's Wong that, from Doctor Strange that he's fighting. Ah, right. Uh, yeah, uh, Tim Roth is credited with being in the film, so I'm pretty sure it's a safe bet that it is a abomination, which is quite interesting but yeah it looks like it could be just a bit of a a cameo fight scene but you never know there seems to be like a touch of um those sort of asian films like uh, crouching tiger hidden dragon and hero mm-hmm. in some of in some set pieces um that are teased in the trailer so that looks quite that looks like it'd be quite interesting and cool and yeah. it looks like there's quite a good story where his father seems to be the bad guy, and he's been um, sort of in New York trying to sort of distance himself from from his father and what his father wants him to grow up to be. Mm-hmm. I, I like I like the kind of story that's you know we're telling here, and the idea that because like the Ten Rings, all people took notice of because they were thought that the ties into the Mandarin because uh, the Ten Rings seems to be a, like. <laughs> Then <coughs> the Mandarin character from the comics, the Iron Man villain, wears they give him different powers, and uh, the the gang and that kidnapped Tony in the first Iron Man were called the Ten Rings. But listen, the rings are more like discs that go around his arm, but do give him these extraordinary powers. So, because the name of the Ten Rings is all sorts of rumors that Ben Kingsley could reappear as a. I think he's even teased that he is, uh, he is coming back as the Mandarin or Trevor, whatever his name was. Hmm. Oh, I've not I've not seen anything on that, but yeah, uh, I do like the look of those the rings things that um, sort of go on his arms and you say give him the powers. And some of the villains seem to have similar sort of powers. Like this one guy, 
it looks like he turns his hand into like a sword or a knife or something in a in a fight on a train or a tram or something. So that looks uh-huh. quite cool and interesting. Um, the notice that Michelle Yeover is uh, in the film. She, I think, she did films like uh, Crouching Dragon and whatnot. So mm-hmm. um, that's that's cool casting. I think she might play his mother. I'm not too sure. So uh, yeah. Uh, strong cast, and I like the fact, although Netflix and Iron Fist, they haven't whitewashed the main character. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said before, this is pretty much what Iron Fist wanted to be, and I think yeah. they'll get it right. I think they'll get it right this time around. And like you said, the fight scenes look great. Like I said, like the idea of the guy with a knife and like that, and the other like, martial arts scenes basically is like a combination of Mortal Kombat and Crouching Tiger, Head Dragon, almost, but with that Marvel kind of twist on it. Kind of thing, and honestly, there's some aspects are probably key to the character, what the, but not knowing about the character, I may not have noticed before. There was a clip I saw that got released of a fight scene that where he and the female character he's with are going along this like scaffolding, and these like martial arts guys are chasing them. So then he's having to fight them uh, while kind of balancing on the scaffold, and it looks really good. Like you can tell they've put a lot behind you know, choreographing these like fight scenes. And I think those are gonna we're gonna get some really good fight scenes in this film and uh, like I said about Abomination coming back I'm really interested to see that because I thought it was always a shame we didn't see more of him after the, the Hulk film and I think there's also been talk that he might be in that She-Hulk TV show Oh right well that, that would be pretty cool if they did that and uh, yeah uh, so I'm a bit unsure on the Eternals, Eternals and how well that'll do but I have a feeling that this um, Chang-Chi one will do very well it's it's definitely going to appeal to the Asian market and I'd just say it's got this good, great combination of Mortal Kombat and Marvel meets Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon so I think this is going to pe- appeal to a lot of audiences and I think they'll do pretty well with this film Yeah definitely and with the Eternals you know, you can see how they'd probably maybe work them into early, early MCU like team films like the Avengers because there's a bigger threat after the somehow bigger than Thanos on that cosmic level, then they can find a way to work the the, the Eternals in. And that it'll be interesting going forward outside of his own solo is how they can work a character like Shang-Chi and with other characters like like say Sam as Captain America or with Thor or people like that. So it'll be interesting to see how he interacts with characters kind of outside his own kind of movies. Yeah, I mean already I can see how Shang-Chi would fit into the, the rest of the MCU, but I don't know. I was, I was saying, made a little joke about the DC thing. The, <laughs> the Eternals do almost seem completely different somehow, mm-hmm. don't they? Uh, especially the way the trailer's framed. Maybe feel differently once we've seen the film. So, yeah, as you say, it'd be very interesting if they did try and com- combine the Eternals because they, they do seem very different somehow. Yeah, uh, so I believe Shang-Chi comes out actually early September, I think the 3rd, as early as the mm. 3rd of September, so and then November we get the Eternals, and then we don't have long to wait until, uh, until Spider-Man, I believe that's December 17th, uh, in the UK at least. Well, it's sort of advertised for Christmas, isn't it? Um, yeah. When it, but I suppose you, they sort of class December as Christmas nowadays, don't they? <laughs> so it's a month now, not a day. Well, if, yeah. you're, if you're in retail, it's four months. <laughs> Christmas is starting uh, in next week for me. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, I can see why so many people who work in retail hate 
hate Christmas. <laughs> but by the time you get to December, you've had enough of it, I tell you. <laughs> Yeah, so it's weird. That seems to be a thing. I think since like they started doing like the Star Wars, like the main, the three like, Skywalker or like sorry, the, since like the three sequel trilogy films started coming in December, they started doing that, releasing more big films in December. So you had like the three recent Star Wars films, and now you're releasing like Spider Man in December. So it kind of became a weird thing. We have the Star Wars, so we're never going to get the fucking Christmas Christmas blockbusters now. Well, yeah, what, what did you make of the Spider-Man trailer? It was also a lot of fun. And I'm already liking the chemistry between uh, Benedict Cumberbatch and Tom Holland. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I didn't hear that there was apparently leaks in the, the day before. Uh, people like watching leak version, no matter how many times they tried to take it, and it kept popping up. So they released it like very late at night. Like I think the UK then like 2 in the morning it got mm. released. And so I didn't know it, but I'd just seen all these stories about people saying, like, are they not going to show anything? Like, are they leaving it very late to show any trailers? And then I woke up one day, oh, there's a trailer. So, and then the thumbnail of the trailer is Peter getting, you know, astral projected out of his body by Strange. I like, I gave me an idea of what the tone of this was going to be like. And, uh, but yeah, I, I love it. I, I Easily, Tom Holland has become the best Spider-Man, in my opinion. I think we're going to it's going to start a lot of arguments about who's the best Spider-Man if we do have Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire in this film. And if they are in it, then apparently it's by design that they're not being shown. Right now they say they might do a trailer close at the time that maybe shows them. But I think we got plenty in just this short trailer. We got an idea of what the film is going to be like. And uh, I believe it feels like with Doctor Strange, they're having the dynamic with him that they had with Peter and Iron Man. And Homecoming, where I, and it seems like in each of these films, uh, Peter has an older person that he's kind of confiding in or helping them along the way. It was kind of uh, Iron Man and Homecoming. He thought it was going to be Mysterio, but ended up more being like Happy and Far From Home. And now it's kind of Doctor Strange, and then we even get to see some fight scenes between Doctor Strange and, and Spider Man, which I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah, it does look like that when they're on the train that. They might be at odds at some point, so that that's, that looks quite interesting. Unless all isn't what it seems, but already straight away there's like quotable lines and <laughs> funny dialogue in the in the trailer. Like when he calls Doctor Strange Sir, and he says, "Look, we've saved half the universe together." I think we'll be a bit beyond you calling me Sir. Just all right, then, Stephen. <laughs> Weird, but I'll allow it. <laughs> it's just so brilliant. Yeah. You gotta wonder, like they talk about the multiverse, and Train says it's something we know frighteningly little about. And you gotta think that things will be sort of fixed for Peter by the end of this, but there will still be some fractures in the multiverse which carry over to Doctor Strange's movie because uh, it is called the Multiverse of Madness. That comes out March of next year, so I'm interested in how they tie those together. And something people point out, what I said about Wong appearing in Shang Chi, some people have speculated that. Shang-Chi and this film happen at the same time when Wong goes through that portal he's going to that place that that weird arena that we see in Shang-Chi so it'll be interesting to see if that's the case and the way they tie them together but uh, rumours I've heard and I don't think it's hard to tell what's, what's true and what's other or what's just fan theory but I've heard the, the fight between Doctor Strange and Spider-Man comes at odds with like the disagree on how to deal with these like multiverse kind of villains that we see in the film 
Ah, yeah, it could be that. That would make sense. Uh, they're both very different people, so they might have very different ideas on on how they want to deal with things. Um, and also, we can see that um, at the end of the trailer, uh, Doctor Octopus is back and um, played by Alfred Molina, uh, which looks really cool. He sort yes. of comes out of some smoke and says, "Hello, Peter." So even though he's not his sort of Spider-Man and Peter Parker, he he recognizes him straight away as Spider-Man Peter Parker. So that's pretty cool. And we also get a tease that perhaps we'll see the Green Goblin as well because we see one of his bombs land, don't we? <laughs> and yeah. uh, definitely sounded like William Defoe's laugh to me. So that would be really cool if I've not heard anything, but if William Defoe's going to be coming back to play um, Green Goblin, that'll be a lot of fun as well. Yeah, because uh, there's a lot of questions around if he's coming back, but you know that laugh is unmistakable. And the pumpkin bomb doesn't mm. look very much like when you look at the pumpkin bombs used in the in Spider-Man One. Then also does the similarities there, you know. And there's always the case that you know the way they cut the, the trailer together when Spider-Man goes into his suit just to see Doctor Octopus. There's always a chance that this is a scene with Tobey Maguire, but they've cut it, they've smartly cut around it. So maybe when he says hello, Peter, he's saying it to the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. But we just don't know it yet. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, yeah, that's a very interesting take because I've heard enough rumours that both Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire coming back. But you never know; that might be towards the end of the film that they have to sort of come together to defeat all these different enemies that have crossed into the multiverse or or have its works. Because apparently, it was confirmed that. Um, Jamie Foxx would be reprising Electro, even though we don't see him uh, in this trailer, obviously, but I've heard strong reports that that is the case. I don't know if you've heard or seen the same. Yeah, I think there have been some leaked photos of him looking very different from how he did in Amazing Spider-Man. Apparently he's not going to be blue like he was in that film, and there is yellow lightning shown in the film, which is more kind of fitting to how Electro's portrayed another kind of Spider-Man medium. So it does seem like those are signs that he's there. Uh, so people have rumoured other villains appearing, not just Electro, Doc Ock, or Green Goblin. Like, there's a scene with the lightning where people speculate it's sand going around, so maybe the Sandman comes back. Anyway, or there's something leaping out at, at Peter at one point, I think that's maybe another villain, potentially Lizard. So there's all sorts of theories going around about it. And, like, I am excited to see all these big characters come back, uh, especially Alfred Molino as Doc Ock. And people find out, you know, a bit de-aged, in the, the trailer, slightly closer to it was in Spider-Man 2 because that was in 2004 that film came out, so it's been a while long time and Alfred Molino isn't a young man uh, at this age. But he, wasn't, he wasn't super young uh, in 2004 either, to be fair <laughs> to him. So Yeah, but some people expect that. I want to get your thoughts on this because well, he's been you know, de-aged slightly and we've seen that done before. Like they did it with Samuel Jackson uh, and Captain Marvel. But, you know, people said, I'll say, Andrew Garfield isn't that far off from playing Spider-Man, so he looks pretty much the same. But some people ask, are they going to slightly de-age Tobey Maguire, or are they going to have him as older Peter Parker? They might not need to, because he's he's been quite lucky. He's only uh, a few years older than me, 45. and And like me, he looks quite a bit younger for his age. So they might get away with it with him, but... 
I mean, they can use the bit of de-aging if they think it's really necessary, but it doesn't always... I mean, you can tell. You can tell on Alfred Molina it's been used. So uh, you want to stay away from it when you can get away with it, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it looks good, sometimes it doesn't. It can kind of work. I mean, we talked about it, but how they did it for Mark Camel and things like that, and they've done it in Star Wars in the past. So, you know, it can work if... Just long, as long as it's not for like too prolonged, I think a period of, of time mm. they do it for. So obviously, also I think it'd be funny if you have the scene with all three Spider Men. Like, they made the decision which, at the time of when they did so many guy one of not having them do web shooters like the other two, and had them basically produce the webs themselves. So I wonder if they'll they'll find some like clips between the three to say about that. Like when they talk about your web shooters and Tobey Maguire's like, you guys have web shooters, you don't produce your own webs. <laughs> Yeah, I, I always thought that was sacrilege, to be <laughs> honest, because it was always part of the comics and the cartoons that, you know, Peter Parker designed and created the web shooters himself. And then to for that film to make it that it was like an organic thing. Uh, I was never happy. I was never happy with that. But uh, <laughs> there you go. That's probably just me being a, a diehard Mooney fan. I mean, I remember not minding it uh, at the time. I've kind of. You know, I still kind of don't mind it, but I've come around to like, like seeing why the web series can be good because also like, you never seen a fight scene where it runs out of webs, so it's yeah, stomach. exactly, yeah. But then, then you, you kind of did that a little bit with Spider Man 2 when he started losing his abilities and everything. But I think it was kind of cool for him, he produced his own webs because without that, then his main powers is crawling walls and having the, the spire sense. I don't think it affects his ability to fight all that much, so. The idea of I'm Spider-Man, but the main power a spider has of producing webs, I don't have, so I need to do it myself. So I think maybe that's why they did this. Yeah, it could be. It does. It does offer um, other things to make him a bit more vulnerable, as you say, when they get damaged or he runs out of web cartridges and stuff. So I think it does add an interesting wrinkle when uh, uh, the ones he manufactures personally. But you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not bad films. I enjoyed the first two of the original Spider-Man. Um, I didn't mind the Andrew Garfield ones. I wasn't as hot on them as I am with Tom Holland's or um, Tobey Maguire's, though. Yeah, I, I didn't mind Spider-Man, the Amazing Spider-Man, the first one. I remember being very excited for Amazing Spider-Man 2 and everything because they were planning a lot coming out of that. And I just remember thinking, this is awfully long, this film. This is... <laughs> It goes on for quite a while. It, it does. Uh, I mean, I didn't. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I didn't hate Iron Man three at the time. I don't. It's not a good film. But, you know, I was. It was young. It was still two thousand seven. I got an action figure of of Venom at the time, so I was happy with that. But you know, even I could tell Topher Grace was not a good a good Venom. Well, even he himself was a bit surprised that he that they asked him to play the part. I mean, he's a diehard Spider-Man fan himself, so you know he couldn't turn it down. But he did think, you know, I'm not really what um, Eddie Brock looks. You know, Eddie, Eddie Brock's a big, you know, big hard jock. So even he knew it wasn't quite the right fit. You know, actually, if you swapped that around, had James Franco play Eddie Brock in Tover Grace's Harry. I think that would have been pretty all right because there are some versions of Harry Osborn where they don't portray him as kind of while they portray him as rich, they portray him as a bit of a nerd as well as Peter. Mm. And you couldn't really take, you couldn't really call James Franco like a nerd. He doesn't look that believable as a nerd character. Walter McGuire kind of does. 
So I think, if, I think you can tell, definitely tell that Tover Grace would probably play that role because he'd be probably cast similar to when he was playing you know, his character of Eric in that 70s show, which he left that show like with a season to go to film Spider-Man 3. So if you're wondering why you know, he was written out of that 70s show and why the last season that was so bad, it was so he could go do this film. <laughs> and it was definitely not worth it at all. I was going to say, it didn't exactly work out for the best, did it? Bless it. Yeah, and the only reason I remember Bryce Dallas Howard appears as Gwen Stacy because they were planning on doing another Spider-Man film after this, but they weren't entirely sure Kristen Dunst was going to want to come back. So they basically shoot her in, her in so that she could be a, be a bigger part in a movie that didn't come. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? But uh, Sam Raimi fell out with the the studio on their insistence that they put in the Venom character because it didn't... Pref- perform as well as they wanted it to and it got a lot of criticism um they decided to start from square one when they had to look for a new director yeah i think he he wanted it to be uh, sandman and the vulture so mm-hmm. you know we would have gotten the vulture much earlier than we did with Michael keaton even though Michael keaton's a great vulture but uh, i don't think he probably would have been sam raimi's version of it but he wanted the vulture uh but also they didn't get it and you know, it's interesting Sam Raimi's actually directed in Multiverse of Madness, so you got to think characters appeared in his versions of Spider-Man appearing in this film, and you got to think this will tie into Multiverse of Madness, so you got to wonder, will Sam Raimi get some input in this version of Spider-Man? Hmm. It's an interesting thought. I'm not, I'm not too sure. You never know what he might do. Yeah. Uh, and apparently, you know, he's he was apparently well-known for his horror films. Uh, I've not seen much of his other work outside of his Spider-Man films with Sam Raimi, but Apparently they're going to use some horror elements for Multiverse of Bandits, so interesting what they what he's going to do with that. But with Spider-Man, there's a couple of cool spots in this where, like, when he has these iron suit, we has the like the giant spider arms coming out the floor behind him. I'm hope I'm hoping that means that we're going to see him using those arms going up against Alfred Molina's Doc Ock, which I think would be pretty cool. And I don't think you see it. You think there's a blinking almost at scene of it in the trailer, but there's been like photos of like merch and like toys that came that got leaked from this film of Peter wearing a black and kind of gold kind of suit which apparently is a suit he gets given by Doctor Strange which has like magic kind of sewn into the suit somehow so it's kind of a magic style like Spider-Man suit at one point in this film. All oh, right, that'd be cool one yeah mm-hmm. not come across that myself but that definitely sounds uh, very interesting. Yeah so you know I mean anything for them to you know Another bit of merchandise they can probably shift, but I'm sure it'll be cool as part of the film. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I dare say, as we get closer to December, they might drop another trailer that shows us a little bit more as well, which will be, which will be cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very hopeful for that. I'm sure they'll show us the other Spider-Man and the the next trailer if, if they are in it. But I'm hopeful it's just a basically a. Yeah, so much of the Alfred Molino thing because that's really all you need of, of him in this in the trailer. And basically, you should do just put that amount of like Tom McGrath, just a one shot, the one shot of them deliver a line, cut to the title grid, and people the internet will still go mental. Yeah, or well, they could even just show three suited up Spider Men together um, and leave it at that if they didn't want to give too much away before the film because that'd be enough to tell you that something's happening. Mm-hmm. But anyway, shall we move on to the the main subject of the podcast? May as well. We, well, 
me as well. We're only 30 minutes in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know what? I wrote down Loki episode four on my notes, but I forgot to put the actual title of the, the episode. Do you remember what the title is? <laughs> Great radio, this isn't it? Very professional. Yeah, we, we are the most the two most professional people on this entire show. And no, I cannot remember what the episode was called. Let me see if I can quickly look it up. Do, 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 do. Oh, I can't bloody find it. Uh, the Nexus event, there There we go, that'll do then. The Nexus event. This is a real action-packed episode. I'll run through it as briefly as I can, because there is a, a lot to talk about on this episode. Mm-hmm. So basically, uh, the show opens with a very young um, Sylvie in uh, Asgard playing with some toys. Uh, my guess is she's between 10 and 12. Um, you know, all she's doing is playing with some toys. Um, the TVA come through a team led by um, Ravona Ravenslayer herself. So she hasn't always been the the high up like judge. She's also been uh, a regular agent on one point, and they whisk young Sylvie away. Um, if, I can, um, if I can interrupt you, because I know some people are going to moan about it. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not putting on you. Uh, but I believe her last name is Renslayer. But the way you said Ravenslayer, just it just sounds like a oh, character. Right, yeah. It just sounds like a kind of character they introduced as a. A secondary protagonist in a fucking Harry Potter film, <laughs> or like, or like, or like the founder of Ravencroft or whatever. Because I don't know anything about the other houses. I'm not a Harry Potter diehard, as you can tell. I was getting because I've got because because her first name and second name are very similar. I was getting myself muddled up, me and names. So uh, yeah, Renslayer, sorry. Um, and they take they take her away through a time door and reset the, the area where she was. Um, they take her into the, the TVA. You see her basically, it's a very brief shot of uh, Sylvie going through everything Loki did, but as a very scared, maybe 10, 12-year-old girl. Um, as she's being taken to the sort of courtroom where they, sort of, they, they, they judge everybody, she as a as you what is a child stamps on Renslayer's ankle, grabs, manages to swipe her temp pad, and makes her, and makes her escape. Mm-hmm. So that's that's this is a, quite an interesting moment, which we'll we'll delve in when we get back to it. Sylvie and Loki look, look doomed as they're, they're stuck on the planet they were left on in episode three. Doesn't look like there's any hope or way of getting off there. And um, they sort of resign themselves to their fate and share a bit of a moment. Perhaps this is the, the moment they kind of fall for each other. And that creates a, a nexus event that um, alerts the TVA to where they are. So two uh, time portals or time doors open and Loki and Sylvie jump through them. And the next shot is of them being in the custody of the of the TVA. Um, they're both placed in, in, the, in their own sort of prisons, basically. 
there's a bit of a, a talk between Mobius and Loki. Uh, Mobius sort of telling Loki he's a asshole and a bad friend. They think he's been working with, or they're under the impression that he's been working with uh, Sylvie all this time. And interestingly, um, Loki's put in like a, a time loop prison. I think this maybe something from his past with Lady Seth um, telling him he's a bad person and he'll spend his life alone. She punches him, and this happens repeatedly on a loop. And um, Loki sort of tries to, as he does, talk his way out of there and converse with her and stop her from hitting him, but it, it doesn't work until the very end. She doesn't hit him. She just tells him, yes, you are alone and you always will be. And that seems to cut him deeper than any other punches. So we so we also get Mobius asking questions about what happened with, um, is it C20? The... Um, the woman that, yes, yeah, E20, I've got to find it, my notes there. Uh, the woman that um, Sylvie sort of did her enchantment with. He's, ask, he's asking Rensselaer about her. She's, Rensselaer tells him that she's gone mad and lost her mind. It doesn't sound like she's telling the truth. So something's not quite right there. We get um, one to B15 going. To see Sylvie, we think it's to challenge her, but also she take, but she gets Sylvie to take her to a portal, and she wants to know what she saw when Sylvie enchanted her. Unlike um, with C twenty, she tells her, "I can't, you know, it was your past life. I can't create memories. I can only use them to my advantage," and you. You've had a life before the TVA. You're a variant. Um, Mobius, he has a he has a bit of a chat with Loki, sort of accusing him of um, being in cahoots with Sylvie. Uh, Loki opens up, tells him that you're all variants. Um, Mobius looks like he's taking this all in and believing them at first, and then. He sort of tells him, no, nice try, you almost had me there. This is just another Loki lie. And as he's been carted away, Loki tells him, you know who's the biggest liar? You are. And maybe says, why? Because I tried to tell you that Sylvie was dead. He goes, no, actually, I can kind of respect you for that. Um, it's the lies you tell yourself. So this makes... Um, Mobius more more curious. Um, he's sort of celebrating the sort of case being closed with Renslayer as a drink. They have a chat. He tries to bring up uh, what happened to C20, uh, why he wasn't allowed to interview Sylvie, which I've already done here, so I forgot that he did ask about um, interrogating Sylvie, but Renslayer wouldn't let him. Um she sort of puts him off, keeps telling him sort of different sort of lies that, you know, C20 sort of lost her mind, basically. Um, I didn't want that to happen to you. 
um, when he he distracts her by telling her where you're going to put this new trophy, and then while she's not looking, he swaps her temp pads, and he le- abruptly leaves, and you see him in the library viewing uh, security footage on a temp pad, and it's C22. Looks like she's got most of the faculties about her saying, what I saw was real. Um it was a memory. I remember, you know, I have friends. I went to that bar. You know, I'm a variant. We're all variants. And then uh, he seems in a run so who ends the, the, re- the recording interrogation. So now he knows something's up. He goes to low key and he um, tells him, okay, perhaps I do believe you. And for you know, Free sort of freezing, they go through, they leave the prison, but Renslayer and other TVAs are waiting for them. She he tries to talk, Mobius tries to talk himself out of trouble. Oh, yeah, I accidentally picked up your um temp pad. How did that happen? And quite a shocking moment. Um, she orders Mobius to be pruned. I mean, I was watching this going. No! At the TV at this point. I don't know about you, Scott. Oh, it was like the bit when, when Obi-Wan sees Qui-Gon getting killed by Darth Maul. That's what my reaction was like. This is like middle of the afternoon as well. I was watching it by myself. Uh, yeah, that was quite quite, quite shocking, actually. I, really, I did legit at that point think they had killed him off. But both Loki and Sylvie are taken... To see the oh, what are they called the time timekeepers the timekeepers that's it themselves uh, like big lizard creatures sat on these chairs I don't know about you but but they used to sort of sample their voices I really struggled to hear what they were saying I don't know I don't know if you had that problem or if it was just me yeah I had that issue well the one in the middle you could hear quite well but. Yeah, the other two were a bit, uh, were a bit funny, and I think I'm glad that they did the, the twist that they showed with the thing keywords because if this was actually it and these were the the actual main villains, I would have been very disappointed. Yeah, B15 shows up, um, freeze Sylvia and Loki says for the end of time, throws a weapon, uh, fighting in shoes. Loki fights TVA agents. Um, Sylvia has quite a cool battle with Renslayer. They get the upper hand and look like they win. Sylvie throws one of the uh, sort of, I don't know what it is, like a sword or mm-hmm. spear, uh, the middle TV uh, timekeeper, uh, decapitating him, his head falls to the floor, but... Something's not quite right. They always start glitching and they go over and pick up their decapitated head and it's a robot. So they're all in a, they're basically an illusion, a fake. The timekeepers uh, are androids. They're not what they seem. So whoever's controlling the TVA is someone completely different. Loki looks like he's about to tell Sylvie how he feels and out of nowhere he gets pruned by Renslayer. And this is when I thought, ah, well, they're not going to kill Loki off, so that might mean Mobius is okay. So wasn't too sure what was going to happen to him, but the, the program's called Loki, so you can safely assume that they're not going to kill him off in the fourth episode. 
I mean, uh, I mean, they kept Taggart going for years, and the actor who played Taggart physically died. So true, true. <laughs> but <laughs> Tom Hiddleston is a while alive and well. So I mean, yeah. I mean, no, you go ahead. I'll tell you what. But we're nearly at the end now, anyway. So anyway, Sylvie uh, gets the better of Renslayer again. So you're going to tell me everything you know. And the episode comes to an end. Or does it? <laughs> we get uh, some end credits with quite a nice little song with uh, by Brenda Lee. And after that, we get like an end of credits scene that we haven't been getting on Loki. And I already... I only went back to watch because Scott pointed out, did you see the end credit bit? And I was like, what end credit bit? <laughs> yeah, well, so. yeah I, I thought we were, I was wondering if we were going to mention that because I forgot that this was the end credits. I forgot it had been a while since I watched it. So I thought that was part of the episode. I forgot it was an end credit. But I'd, I'd gotten used to just leaving the credits on just in case because like with One Division, they only start having end credits like towards the end of the show. By the t- At that point, you, you'd given up on even seeing an end credit scene. But... You know, I, I don't want to blurt out, oh, see the bit with the other Lokis, uh, just in case you hadn't watched it. But yeah, that's what happens. You, Loki comes round, and you hear the familiar tones, or familiar to me, of Richard E. Grant. And as Loki looks up, yeah, he's surrounded by three of the Lokis. One dressed very much as classic Loki, uh, which is Richard E. Grant. So that sets us up for episode five very nicely. So, uh, well, an action-packed episode of a lot going on. And it had a bit of everything. Drama, romance, action. Mm-hmm. It really packed a lot into an hour, didn't it? Yeah, they, they really did. Because uh, I said to you about how they kind of slowed the kind of tone down because a lot of episode three was basically just dialogue between Sylvie and, and Loki. And so... You know, they really picked up the drama and everything uh, in this episode. Like, yeah, like, is it weird that Loki's a title character? He's a character we've known for years and everything. But I was more upset that Mobius potentially died than he died. Because I just I just love the dialogue between him. Mobius has become, become my favourite character on the show. And then he got killed. Yeah, when Loki reappeared at the end, I thought, huh, maybe maybe Mobius is still idle. Because I, for a second, thought maybe they did kill him because... Technically, you could still keep it going because Sylvie doesn't call her still Loki, but she is a Loki. So, technically, say, well, it's still called Loki, but now Loki is a different version of Loki. Because, you know, they could, they could have easily have, have done that, or uh, I was just going to wait and see what happened, but I was weirdly more disappointed with Mobius potentially dying and everything. Because, and the way they've done that in um, both scenes as well, because Renslayer it doesn't really say much, he just stares at him, and Mobius kind of stops talking and just starts talking about. You know, if I could go anywhere, I'd go back to my life. Maybe I had a jet ski. Everything. Yeah. If he, he knows that what's going to happen, and he doesn't even start talking while he's being pruned, he just accepts what's going to happen to him. Whereas in the one with Renslayer, like doing it to Loki, they saw a white shot of Renslayer kind of lying on the ground after a fight with Sylvie, and then just for the next minute or so, going tight on Sylvie and Loki. So the fact that she snuck up behind Loki comes right out of nowhere and makes it all the more shocking. Yeah, it really does. Um, I think Tom Hiddleston plays it well when Mobius uh, gets pruned because they've, they've sort of they bonded over these last few episodes, especially just just before when um, Mobius says, um, "So, well, this is what it's come to. I've got to trust two Lokis," <laughs> and Loki says, 
how about trusting a friend? Oh. And then that happens. And he, he really did <laughs> sell the shock of the moment, didn't he? That's um, <laughs> it right here. That's the way he lives. I also sort of love I also sort of love the moment when sort of Loki and Sylvie resign to their fate and they kinda of hold hands and you know there's something I don't want to sound like a big girl, but magical happening between them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I suppose so. And uh, when Mobius I, again I said about how you, how good he is at his kind of job where he's kind of when he's interviewing people he is kind of like a, a profiler or anything like you see like trying to catch like serial kills or anything where he immediately just buys Loki's face reaction when he mentions about the possibility of her being pruned already he's like he can tell that Loki has feelings for him and he points out a thing I mentioned before like how narcissistic it is that you fail for another version of yourself <laughs> or anything like that and also the fact that like a cast of, like kind of thing when cop shows like they try and tell two people they're interviewing separately that the other one is turned on them so that the other person will will talk and try and pin it on the other and they'll turn against each other and tell you what you want to know and basically that's kind of what he does to to loki where he uses the idea of of sylvie kind of already being killed off uh to get to loki and get him to tell him the truth so you know again it shows why um i love mobius so much even though we've only seen him for a handful of episodes yeah, I love the way also in this episode we see a more human and vulnerable side to Hunter B-15 as well. Like, she's really obsessed with finding uh, Loki and Sylvie, especially Sylvie, and you think that's because, you know, that's just her job and she wants to put right because they escaped, but it isn't. She, she's, she needs to know if what she saw when she was enchanted was, was real. Mm-hmm. And she shows a much more sort of human and softer side, and her encounters with um, Sylvia. Like they go back to the the supermarket, don't they? Yeah. And after she sort of shows her uh, uh, sort of past memories, she's just like, "I, I look so happy." <laughs> yeah, it's a really she... touching moment. It's interesting, they didn't show you what they saw as well. Yeah. It's left to your imagination. I quite like that, actually. Some people probably won't, but I quite like that. Yeah, yeah. Like they think maybe she had a family or whatever, and that's what she's talking about. Maybe she showed her a time where she was happy and with family and everything. So, you know, again, leave it up to you kind of your imagination. Within, well, we talked about the differences in like abilities between Loki and Sylvie before. You can tell Loki's whole ability where he showed when he went in episode two where he dried himself and they're in the supermarket. Clearly, Sylvie doesn't have that ability because. Uh, Renslayer comes in the room, sees she's wet, and knows that Hunter B-15 was in there, so that's when they know that B-15 and their words has been compromised, but really she's on to it's the lies that they've all been told. And they really set up Renslayer for this episode specifically as the villain of the episode, because clearly she knows what's really going on and is basically doing everything to try and keep it hidden. Like, they don't tell you it, but I think it's heavily implied with her stopping the recording that she's the one that killed D-20, or just at least pruned her. It's, yeah, she's either pruned her or locked her away where nobody can uh, get to her and she's determined, yeah, to not let anyone find out the truth that they're all variants and she won't let Mobius go near C20 or Sylvie because she doesn't want him learning this truth that he finds out anyway. So, yeah, it's uh, very strange how she's sort of act- acting towards 
everyone. I get, I get if it's not perhaps from a actual villainous point of view. It's more trying to protect what she knows, if that makes any sort of sense. Yeah, it's kind of like when we talked about uh, Mobius in the second episode where he is, he believes that he was great about it, he was in so like loyal to them, mm. whereas where she takes that, but almost to an extreme where she's willing to, to hurt or even kill others to protect this this kind of image of you know the timekeepers and everything you notice in the scene like they had that scene in episode two where like where they kind of implied that Mobius had feelings for her and he said you see another analyst on the side kind of joking I think when she was but I didn't want that what happened anything bad down to you by interviewing the female Loki because of what happened to C20 you can kind of tell that she maybe has feelings for him or at least knows that he feels a certain way about her uh, so maybe she's using his emotions, her feelings for her, to try and you know, to try and just tell him what he wants to hear, or trying to, you know, make try to stop him from asking any any questions. But then saying friendship like ours is hard to come by. Immediately putting Mobius back in the friend zone. So that's why she's the true villain of this episode. Yes. <laughs> Bless him. The dreaded. <laughs> that's the thing worse than the dreaded friend zone. <laughs> Somewhere. Uh, Somewhere I find myself more often than not, unfortunately. What's the worst place to be? And Loki's time prison where he constantly gets needing the needing the balls by Siv or the friends on you tell us at Rogan <laughs> for friends. I mean, this lady sitting here in the bollocks, so I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go for the friend zone personally. At least you get at least you get in touch there. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, what have we become. <laughs> I mean, we are too good, Father. That's that's they say. What was I going to? Uh, I had a point to make. Now I've been I've blown up my head now with Tom. Absolute filth. Just <laughs> <laughs> got trying desperately to be the straight man <laughs> and feeling, but. Something about this episode that I really like is that they kind of tell you but don't tell you what it was that caused Sylvie to be taken away by the TVA. Isn't that she talks about her like running and be and be on the run for the TVA since she was ten and everything? And even though she says to Rizzo, what was my like next event? Why did you take me? She's like, I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Everything, but she kind of tells when she's talking to Loki on that basically her whole next event is just existing. I don't think there's meant, in the, according to the secret time, there's not meant to be a a, a female Loki, and and basically when it got when she got to a certain age where you know she was becoming an issue with the timeline, they basically took her away and everything. She she decided to go to Apocalypse because that was the one place she go where nothing else mattered. Because anywhere else she went, she would be detected because she's not meant to even be alive. Yeah, and it it makes. Sylvie's character makes so much sense as well. It's why she was able to sort of be a step ahead of the TVA, like, unlike our Loki, because she's had to. It's all she's known. And, you know, it's why she sort of perhaps fears the TVA a little bit and hates them so much because, you know, she's been on the run from them since she was a little girl. She's had no, you know, she had no real childhood no life you know you, you, you saw how sort of scared she was going through all that process that 
Tom's Loki dead because um, you know, she was just a scared little girl, and it's it must have been so traumatizing for mm-hmm. her, and it puts everything in a you know you know she's a variant and she's been on the run, but you know I, I wasn't prepared even as a viewer, I wasn't prepared for it to be from such a young age and it just puts the whole character in a whole new light and context for me. It's really good storytelling. I also like the bit at the start where the show had been taken away by TV. I mean, we talked about in the first episode how funny it was when uh, Loki was going through his whole thing, like the whole thing, that, do people not know they're robots? Well, if you go to the scene and you're a robot, <laughs> yeah. you'll burn, you'll burn from inside out and everything. But then you see it through a child that has just been randomly taken away. It's like, she's only like 10 years old. Everything like that's got to be it paints in a whole new like sinister light. Like the idea of like go through this machine. If you're a robot, this will burn you with inside out and everything. So you yeah, think yeah. that's fucking terrifying for her. And something's happening to a uh, another guy. She's screaming, "Somebody help him!" Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure who the young actress is who plays young Sylvie, but great performance, great acting, <laughs> really, really, really believable, really well done. Um, yeah. And I think it shows that uh, Rensselaer is probably more suited to office work than being an actual hunter or anything like that. Or Because, you know, how easily she gets, you know, made to look like a fool by child Sylvia. Like, I, mean, I know it's nice to show that she was capable even back then and everything because she's been showing to be able to handle herself in a fight. But the way she just one foot stamp but then just so easily grabs her, her temp pad and is buggered off. There's a point where they're just staring at each other as well. Like, you, you belong behind a desk. Yeah, and it, it also makes sense for Rensai's character why she's so determined to wrap this case up and find this variant because she was pretty much, from her perspective, embarrassed by Sylvie. You know, uh, a 10 year old got the better of her and managed to escape on her watch. And she's obviously determined to, to rectify that at all costs. Yeah, because she does try to kind of put the blame on. Uh the blame on uh, Mobius mm. but like how well, part of it part of it all is because you no, know, I let you bring in a, another Loki variant and everything they got this close to the timekeepers and everything like that but really they said if she hadn't let Sylvie get away they wouldn't be in this mess in the first place yeah because like, cause like Mobius needed Loki to find Sylvie but if Loki didn't escape from the timeline and Sylvie's already been dealt with as a child then probably, then probably, well, he would have been dealt with as well, and none of this would have happened. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's it's all very sort of interesting little character arcs going on. And what did you sort of make of the, the sort of moments when we we actually saw the the timekeepers for the very first time, and they they're shown to be robots, basically. Like I said before, I was kind of happy with that because, you know, I thought it was kind of weird the way they were, the CGI. One on the left-hand side with a weird beard kind of thing that looked quite weird. One on the the, the right-hand side, probably people said, looked all like Kang the Conqueror, and they thought that was going to tie into it. But, you know, I thought when they got, when they, when it revealed to be an Android, I thought, oh, they're turning all the series on there. I think that's what this episode, more than the other ones, uh, was doing. Like I said, how episode one establishes an idea and then you get questioned of it in the later episodes. This one, when anything takes everything you were told in episode one and turns it on its head. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, I did think they looked a little weird somehow, like not the best, maybe not the best special effects on them, but obviously it was all all done purposely because 
they are they aren't real and uh yeah it's quite a unique way i wish i wish someone had listened or pointed out that some of the whatever tech they used to do their their voices like i explained earlier that you it was really hard to hear what two of them were were saying and i'm glad it's not just me so yeah, they perhaps could have tweaked that they perhaps could have tweaked that a little bit before it aired yeah, I mean, you got bloody, you got you're you're starting a whole like animated series like with for the characters that aren't able, who aren't able to come out and voice their own characters. You got experienced voice actors on that. You got Tara Strong, a, lit, a long career voice actor on your show. Is that hard to you know? Good voice actors are not that hard to find. Can you not find some people to make unique voices for them? Do you have to like mess about with them that much? Yeah, I think they 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 over they overdid whatever whatever sort of electrical or whatever they've used to make their voices sound a bit sort of more subhuman, I suppose. They've just gone a bit overboard on that, unfortunately. Yeah. But that's uh, that's my only very minor complaint in what's otherwise uh, an excellent episode. I love the fight scene that breaks out in the timekeeper's uh, room. Um, as I say, the big surprise of Loki... Um, getting pruned as well. Yeah, the the fight scene, while it was much shorter than the one I'm going to give an example, of, it reminded me of like when uh, Kylo and Ray are in Snoke's kind of chamber after he's been kind of killed off, and they're fighting off the the guards. That kind of is what that reminded me of them working together almost. So, you know, it was a really good fight scene. I'm wondering sort of what you saw about when you first saw it, even though you didn't see it the first time. About when you went back and seen this scene with the Loki's because. I mean, Richard E. Grant especially, I know he's made it look like he's credited as classic Loki, because that's what Loki looked like in the comics and everything. But at first I, took, I find it a bit hard to take him seriously looking like that, because it looks like somebody was going to a Marvel-themed Halloween party dressed as, dressed as the comic version of Loki. Yeah, it's, it, it does look a bit daft, but it, it does work for the episode and the, and the series, to be fair. And if you want a good actor to bring some gravitas to a daft costume. There, there aren't many better than Richard E. Grant, to be fair. Mm-hmm. And he does look, I don't know if it's just me, but he, he does look a little bit like an older Tom Hiddleston. I could, I could see I could see that, you know. Uh, I mean, you see, I think they're again talking about the idea of the, the different variants. Also, these guys have probably been planted down by TV because we've dealt with a lot of Lokis over the years. Mm. So. Maybe that's the thing with uh, the the idea of the secret time was only meant to be one version of Loki, and you know, and he's meant to follow the path that the original Loki we saw die in Infinity War follows, and so any other variation is obviously seen as a a problem for the TVA. So these guys have kind of been hunted in kind of like how Sylvie was. Yeah, yeah, it could very well be. It's. Um... It was nice to have that little tease at the episode, though. So I, I think. As I say, I think you'd have it'd be hard pressed to convince you that they've really killed off Loki. But it's nice that they added that little thing at the end, so you so you know he definitely is alive, and it it does set up the the next episode really well because you know where are where is he? Who are these other Lokis? Are there even more Lokis? Is Sylvie going to get the answers she wants? Yeah, out of Ravona. 
You know, think about buddy Richard E. Grant. What a very career that man has had. He's been in, been in Logan. This he's in. A, he was in. He was at least in the the Rise of Skywalker. And of course, his crowning achievement being the bad guy in the Space Girls movie. Exactly. He's been in Liam's favourite film, White Nail and I. That's where his My Boys, My Boys comes from, apparently, that he always does in his intro. If anybody ever wanted to know that. He also played the Scarlet Pimpernel in a BBC, I think it was a, a BBC, a BBC or ITV uh, mini serial uh, a, f- a fair few years ago now. So, yeah, he's. It was a film that Nathan kept mentioning that he was in one time, me, him, and Jimmy were on a podcast. I can't remember the name of it, but he just kept mentioning it. I'm like, I don't know this film, Nathan, that you're referring to. Please stop talking about it. <laughs> it wasn't a Blade movie. No, no, it was not. I was, I was as shocked as you were. <laughs> but um, anything else about the episode you, you want to bring up? Uh, not that I can think of. I, I remember I made sure they made note of a line that Sylvie said, but I think to fully explain what I thought about that line, I'd actually need to wait to the finale to talk about it. So, because I know you're still avoiding spoilers and watching these episodes as they as we go through. So, I'll, I'm, I'm going to save that point for a later episode. But as for now, I'm good to go into the ratings if you are. Yeah, I just want to make. Uh, one other little sort of well, obviously might not be the right word, and you you'll know why. Uh, but I, I think that I really like the scoring and the music in these episodes. I think that's mm-hmm. really well done. You know, the the dramatic scoring is is so sort of cool. I love, I love, I, I you know, I love a good sort of bit of score and the music and in my TV and it's all very well done. I love the little tune they they play at the end of the episode as well. In between that, the end of the episode and the sort of end of credit bit we get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not as an expert on like scores and that as you, but you know, I, I do like it was kind of a soft kind of sounding song that they were using between the credits and before we saw the post credit scene. So, and I don't think it did set the song down because right before the fourth grade, you might think that Loki's dead and then boom, reveal he's not dead. Yeah, it's become a bit of a trope over the years in all sorts of um, sort of programmes where over the end credits, they, they tend to play uh, a different song every week rather than a, you know, a, a standard theme tune, which is, is quite cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so some of these all have like their own unique kind of themes as well. You now that they play at the end as well, and they all yeah. follow that theme of like the very long end credits. It was makes you think there was going to be a credit scene, and sometimes there isn't, which is why you sometimes miss it when there is one. Yeah, and because they're that long, you think, well, there's not going to be anything, so yeah, you switch it off. Uh, me and my mate made the mistake with um, the last episode of The Mandalorian. Um, we so we stopped. What? Luckily, I left my TV my TV running, and as I come back into my room after my mate had left, the the little bit had just just started when uh, Boba Fett comes and takes over uh, from the hut sort of thing. So yeah, you got to be careful. They're sneaky, Disney. Yeah, yeah, they are. <laughs> I think I think a uh, 
this anything in terms of what they do to kind of what you're expecting and like what you've kind of been told at this point I think they're both right up there I think this and the finale might be the two best episodes of the show yeah it's a really strong episode it's, well I'm going to go and this is one of the best episodes of television um, I've, I've seen in a long time and it's a, it's a solid 10 out of 10 for me Ooh. you know I'm I'm tempted to be that guy and say because just how shit the timekeeper looked to give it a 9.5 just for that. Mm. But do I want to be that pernickety? No, this is the internet internet after all. But, you know, I am on Ronaldo high still, so... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, mean, I think they were meant to look shit because they were meant to be a a prop, basically, and, you know, Mm. the whole story is, you know, that's like the Wizard of Oz, you know, finding out who the man behind the curtain is and everything. So... Yeah, fuck it, I'll give it a 10 as well. <laughs> right, I mean, I mean, it's almost it's almost like Elia Druganoff versus Falter. It's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's almost break, feel like breaking the scale and giving it 11 out of 10. I mean, I mean, if you watch that match, they're really breaking each other's chest, then Jesus. I mean, the state of Druganoff's <laughs> chest after that match, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And he had that thing cut above his eye, which he caught in a match a couple weeks ago. Apparently, wasn't meant to happen, but I, w- I, w- I was so thought like either guy like having get punched in the eye and the blood was going to drip down his face. We talked about it in the recent review, which you can check out now. Yeah, yeah, we we won't talk too much on that. Check out our proper review, and as we go that way, do you want to do your plugs, uh, Scott? Yeah, sure. You obviously you find me on Twitter at Scott McLeod nineteen ninety six, and you can find uh, past episodes of this and Rogue Bains is back catalog on all good Android podcast sites like Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you choose to get your podcasts. Uh, but if you want to specifically listen to podcasts featuring us, you can look to get the Twitter account at Podden and Easy to keep up with all this episode of this podcast and other stuff we're involved in with Rogue Bains. Like I joined Carl and Liam on uh, Rogue Chronicles recently to talk about Thanos, uh, which is a real fun time. Uh, on this feed and uh, my other podcast feed, Scott and Paul's Round Podcast. Scott and Paul's Round Podcast is now under the Rogue Pines banner. We've got one episode already up at the time recording, covered King of Rain 93. We're going to have another episode up soon, which is basically with uh, Abandatra. I got some good news. We just recorded with zero plan and a few cans. And we just saw, we just saw what happened. So hopefully you enjoy that when that comes out uh, very soon. Uh, no Rogues Barred, uh, there'll be an episode sometime maybe next week with Liam on it it was already recorded before I went on holiday but haven't got a chance to edit it yet uh, there was a review of SummerSlam and Tego were together with myself uh, Rian and Sam and we're going to be thinking of covering some AEW related content in the next couple of weeks given that All Out is coming soon and it looks like to, looks to be a hell of a hell of a pay-per-view uh, on ESSR very exciting right now if, you're, like, if you like wrestling and you like dress we've merged them together uh, the 10th season of our in podcast fantasy draft uh, is going on, and I cover, me and I cover other guys cover it every Saturday on a show called Saturday Draft Live, where we break it down. And we've been covering a thing called the Listeners League, where people who listen to the podcast can get involved in the draft as well. And if you win the Listeners League, get involved in the main season. What's the other podcast? There's the following season. Carl has recently decided to enter himself. So, Carl, you're immediately my pick. I'm fully supporting you. 
Okay, well I'll try I'll try not to let you down like <laughs> I did like I did in that Star Wars quiz thing when I couldn't even get on the bloody live stream because my technology's so crap. But you know, I picked Becky Lynch, so you know I'm confident. Yeah. I mean you pick you also picked John Watson in your team, which I have on my team, so you can you know you you've got good taste in picks at least uh if you're interested uh on YouTube right now, on Eastside's YouTube channel, uh, recently we did a live kind of draft selection show where everybody in the main league made their selections in a random order. I had to go second last out of 15 people, but I think I managed to pull a good team together, either despite that. Uh, and, you know, again, Carl, you may be in the main season alongside me, which means maybe someday next year, if you win the Listeners League, we can get you on an episode of Saturday Draft Live and Team Godfather can take over ESSR as well. <laughs> they'll take over the world baby um, <laughs> like, it's, like, Homer, it's like Homer Simpson we've all developed into other areas of content drafting, <laughs> Marvel, world domination world domination oh that's a typo Total note. the girl knows too much <laughs> and it's no wonder Scott needed a holiday doing all those podcasts with Liam Jesus Christ <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah there's also an episode of safe words up there so Way, see, you know, I love a good quiz, but even that pushed me to my limits. Yeah, Glasgow, I'll go with Glasgow, but it wasn't quite all it seemed to be. But you'll have to listen to find out. Oh, you little tease you. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can find me, as Scott said, uh, doing Rogue Chronicles. Um, with Scott and Liam as we discuss uh, Thanos, one of the greatest villains in the MCU, and also um, the Man United part with uh, Nathan. We The first one's already up there. We'll be recording um, a second one in the next few days. I wonder what we'll be talking about. Any, any ideas, Scott? What could be top of the agenda on that podcast? I don't know. I've heard, what I've heard, it's all been very quiet on that front, especially in the last 25 hours or so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there really isn't going to be much to talk about, unfortunately. But I'm, I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll scratch something up. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, look out, look out for that. It's obviously what we're talking about: the legend, the icon, Cristiano Ronaldo is home, ladies and gentlemen. Forget your CM Punks, forget your Becky Lynches, <laughs> forget your Brat Lesners. This is the biggest comeback in sport this week. Uh, yes. Yeah, and I'm sure everybody who goes to Old Trafford for the next game will also get a free ice cream bar. <laughs> but, uh, anything else prawn, you prawn. It'll be a free prawn sandwich, mate. Come on. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that's just as good. Yeah, people, people will get that in joke. Don't worry. Yeah, just like my parted, like parting the Red Sea. That flew over my hair, over my head. That joke went. <laughs> oh, because one of our players uh, made a comment about uh, the fans not being loud enough, and he said it's all the all these posh people in the boxes eating their prawn sandwiches. <laughs> Fair enough. But, you know, it's not. You know, there's there's more to it. You know, you you got to go out. You got to. You, someone's got to catch. 
someone's got to catch these um, prawns and seafood. And as Stone Cold once said, shrimp in ain't easy. Fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs>